Good morning. If you want to take your Bibles, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 28 this morning. If you remember a kid and you did sword drills or Bible drills, we're going to kind of do a little bit of that this morning. So, so be ready to roll, okay? Um, as you're turning to Genesis 28, I think it's true, at least I feel like that no one likes a story with a sad ending. So just imagine with me for a moment these stories with stories that actually end up having a sad ending. For example, that Snow White or Sleeping Beauty have no Prince Charming to come and wake them up. Or imagine the Prince Charming that is never able to find Cinderella and match that glass slipper with her. Imagine Luke Skywalker fails to blow up the Death Star. What if there was no one that is able to find Nemo, or even Dory for that matter? Imagine Dorothy end up being stuck in the land of Oz, always thinking there's no place like home, but never getting there. Imagine Marty McFly does not make it back to the future. Imagine Tom Hanks never getting off the island, but instead forever remains a castaway. Or it would be a not-so-wonderful life if George Bailey does not get out of the financial jam that he found himself in. Or if Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet never fall in love at the same time and get married. That's a Pride and Prejudice reference right there, in case you're wondering, because I want you to show you how diverse I really can be when I'm talking about these things. So these stories don't end that way, though, because we all like a happy ending. We want everything to work out in the end. We want the hero to win the day. We want the boy to get the girl. We want the underdog to overcome, and we want them to all find their way home. But in our study that we've been doing in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, the story does end on a really bad note. Sin and shame have entered the world because of Adam and Eve and their sin and their disobedience to God. And the curse from God has come upon not only Adam and Eve, but all of creation because of their disobedience. Death has now entered the world for everyone. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and for the very first time, they are separated from God. So, this is not a happy ending on so many different levels. Separation, curse, sin, shame, death. You can't write a sadder ending than that. Yet, thankfully, Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. It's actually just the beginning. So, what I want to do this morning is tell the rest of the story, to quote the late radio personality Paul Harvey, because the rest of the story is the greatest rescue story ever. The rescue story is this, that God is going to do all the work to come close to us and draw us back to himself. The rest of the biblical storyline from Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 22 is God progressively doing the work to undo all that had happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. What I want us to see this morning is that our God is a God who is near. That the nearness of God is a biblical theme that I want us to explore this morning. 
that our God is a God who comes close to us. Think about this. Eden was actually the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where God's glory and presence dwells. And God's glory and presence dwelled in the garden. He was there with Adam and Eve. He was very near to them. Genesis 3 and verse 8, as we looked at, talks about that God would walk in the garden of the cool of the day. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but one thing for sure we do know is that God is close to Adam and Eve. Ed Welch puts it like this. He says that we were God's ideal walking partner. Now, I will say, one of the benefits uh, for Mandy and I personally during the whole COVID thing back in 2000 is that we discovered the love of taking walks together. I mean, that spring and summer, everything was shut down, right? You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. And so Mandy and I just decided, well, we can go take a walk, right? We can go outside. That's the one thing we can do. And so we did. We took lots of walks, you know, the warm sun, the fresh air. But one thing that we found is that we really enjoyed being able to connect on those walks. Time to talk, time to share, you know, time to vent, uh, just time for us to be together. And even now, like three years later, Mandy and I make it a regular pattern to go for a walk in the evening where we can, just so that we can have that time to be close and to connect with each other. But those walks, that nearness with God is gone now. But God's not done. And what we're going to see this morning is the continual work of what God is doing to come near to us and to remove that separation of Genesis 3. And I want you to be encouraged this morning to see that our God is a God that always comes near to us and that he actually wants to come near us. That he is the one that is pursuing that nearness with us. That in light of all the relational mess that happened in Genesis 3, that God is the one who's going to work to undo that mess. So God coming near is something that we're going to see in Scripture, and I want us to bring about that theme this morning. We're going to look at some examples in the Old Testament, and then what I want us to see is, is those paralleled examples that take place in the New Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus. So we're going to start in Genesis 28. This is the story of Jacob. Up to this point, Jacob has lied continually in order to steal from his older brother Esau the birthright and the blessing. He gets those things, and now Esau is mad. Jacob flees. He runs away. So at this point, what do we see about Jacob? He's really not a good guy, right? He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a coward. He's on the run. And the story where we're going to pick up is in Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. Read this along with me. It said, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamt, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you 
and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So what we see here is that Jacob has this amazing dream, right? He sees heaven open up. He sees this ladder. He sees angels ascending and descending. And what that's communicating to us is that God is near. And the reality that God is actually closer than we know. Verse 15, God says to Jacob, I will be with you. Not only that, he also says, I will not leave you. God is promising nearness to Jacob and a nearness that is going to stay. All of this to a guy that's a liar, a cheat, and a coward. And notice Jacob's response to this dream in verse 17. He says, there is none other than the house of God. Literally, what he's talking about is he's talking about the dwelling habitation of God. Jacob calls this place Bethel, which literally means house of God. So Jacob is able to see that not only is God coming near, but that he's moving in to stay. So here we see God is taking initial steps to come near to us. Turn with me to Exodus. Uh, Exodus 24 is where I want us to go next. Exodus 24, what we're going to see here is continual steps that God is taking in order to be near his people. Look with me in Exodus 24. I'm going to look at verses 15 through 18. It says this, Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. So what we see here is that God came down on the mountain and dwelt. He's tabernacled on the mountain, and then Moses goes up to meet him. God's presence is displayed by this cloud that covers the mountain and then this devouring fire that is over the mountain. And God has come down to communicate with Moses and is going to dwell and tabernacle there for 40 days. And what I want us to do is I want to look at just a few of the things that took place during those 40 days that Moses is near God. Look over in chapter 25 of Exodus. Look with me in verses 8 and 9. This is God speaking here. He says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So we see here that God is making a plan to come even closer to his people. God wants to dwell. He wants to tabernacle amongst his people. And God gives Moses the instructions and the plans to make this dwelling place happen. We see the heart of God here. 
that God wants to draw near his people and he wants to be with them and dwelling with them. God reiterates this in chapter 29. If you want to turn over to Exodus 29 with me. Look at verses 45 and 46. This is God speaking here again. And look at what he says. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That I might dwell among them. I am their God. You see how many times there God says I'm going to dwell with them. I'm going to dwell with them. God is saying, not only am I the one that brought you out of slavery in Egypt, but I am the God who wants to come close to you. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. That he states this multiple times to drive home this point. That God truly wants to be with his people. Now what I want you to do is I want you to think about what's going on here. All right? And during these 40 days that God is with Moses and God is communicating all these things with Moses, what are the people doing down below? They're building a golden calf. They're worshiping an idol. These are the people that God says, I'm going to come near to dwell, which is an amazing thing to think about, that this is what God is doing at this particular point in time. And during those 40 days that God is with Moses, the presence of God begins to have this rubbing off effect on Moses. In Exodus chapter 33, if you want to turn over to Exodus 33, We see that Moses' response to being in the presence of God is that he wants more of God. In verse 18, Moses says, please, will you show me your glory? Well, Moses is saying, saying, God, I want to come closer to you. I want to see more of you. And God graciously responds in verse 19. that he says, yes, I will make all my goodness pass before you. But there are conditions to that happening. Look in verses 20 through 23 with me and look at what God says. But he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see the back You shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And this is a pattern that we're going to see over and over again in the Old Testament. Is that God comes near his people, and yet there's limitations to that nearness. Because of our sin, and because of his holiness, there are hindrances that keep us coming as near to God as we could. We see these hindrances all over in Exodus. In Exodus 19, when God's presence first comes down onto the mountain, we read in verse 16 that the people trembled before the mountain. Moses is is instructed that he alone is the one who can go up onto the mountain to the presence of God, while the rest of the people must stay behind. And what we read is that the people are actually okay with that arrangement because they're afraid. In chapter 20, in verse 21, it says, The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And you can see this contrast, right? God is calling, Moses goes near, and the people stand far off. There's separation that is taking place here. Then after those 40 days, what do we see? 
Moses, he comes down from the mountain, right? And there's this effect, this supernatural effect that takes place from Moses seeing this glory that his face is glowing. And the people can't look at it. They say, we can't handle this. They're afraid again. They make Moses put a veil over his face, just signifying how significant this separation is. And then at the end of Exodus, if you want to turn over to chapter 40, the people go to work with the instructions that they've been given to build the tabernacle and everything that goes in the tabernacle. And they do all of the work. And the work is complete at the end of the book of Exodus. In Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, let's see what happens here. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So we see a couple of things here. First, we see once again, God is coming near his people. That, that he is now in this tent. The, the, that cloud that we saw on the mountain is now in the tent, is now in the tabernacle. So what we see is God's coming closer because it's not on the mountain anymore where God's presence is. Now it's in the camp. It's in the temple. He's coming nearer. But the second thing we see, once again, is separation and hindrance for the people. Because no one, not even Moses at this moment, is able to enter into the tabernacle. Because the glory of the Lord's presence has filled that place. So sin, our sin, cannot approach his holiness. These two themes of God's nearness and our hindrance are seen over again in the Old Testament, not just in Exodus. The same thing that happened in Exodus 40 also happens in 2 Chronicles when Solomon builds the temple in Israel. God's glory comes over the tabernacle. No one can enter. None of the Levites, none of the priests, Solomon, nobody is able to enter. So there's good news in the Old Testament. Over and over again, we see that God is drawing near to his people. But there's also bad news, because over and over again, we see God's people being hindered from being able to come as close as they could because of their sin. The problem of the fall in Genesis 3 is still very apparent. But then in the New Testament, God comes even closer to us, and then he does the work to remove all of those hindrances that we have and God does both of those things by sending Jesus. And what I want to do now is to look to how see that in Jesus, God is even coming closer to us than what we looked at in Genesis and Exodus and see some parallels here. First thing I want you to do is turn with me to the book of John. Turn to John chapter 1 with me. We're going to start in chap uh, chapter 1 and verse 14. Very famous verse. Jesus, uh, it says, this is speaking about Jesus here, where John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is such a key verse. The word Jesus put on flesh, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. You could literally read this and say, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, because that's what that word dwell means. God's presence is now in Jesus and has come to tabernacle to be with us. 
This is the same thing that's communicated to us in Matthew chapter 1 when uh, you have Joseph is, has this dream of the angel telling him about the birth of Jesus. Verses 22 and 23 says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke about the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what's meant to be communicated. This name communicates what Jesus is doing, is that God is with us. In Jesus, God has come closer than ever. He's now with us. And not only is he with us, we read in the rest of John 1.14 that we have seen his glory. That in Jesus, we see glory. This glory is displayed in Jesus by grace and truth. All the things that Jesus does and all the things that Jesus speaks, we see glory. This Jesus, who the New Testament tells us, is the image of God. Where all the fullness of deity dwelled bodily, who is the exact imprint of his nature, now walks among us. This glory has been revealed to us in Jesus, and there's no veil that is needed. This glory is now able to be seen in Jesus, and God is getting even closer to us. Jesus illustrates this closeness to us several ways here in the Gospel of John. Let's look a little further in John chapter 1. We see Jesus is talking with Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel, he's pretty skeptical about Jesus being this Messiah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But Nathaniel is impressed that Jesus was able to see him from far away sitting under a fig tree. And Jesus replies to Nathaniel in verses 50 and 51. Look at this with me. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what Jesus is doing here in verse 51 is he's making a clear reference to the passage that we already looked at with Jacob in Genesis chapter 28 in his dream. But Jesus states that slightly differently, doesn't he? He doesn't talk about the ladder. There is no ladder in what Jesus says. Instead, he talks about that it is the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he himself is the one that is bridging the gap, that is bridging the hindrance, that is removing the separation between God and man. Jesus is the one who has descended down to us from heaven and is bringing us to God. Jesus is going to make it possible for us to be close to God with no hindrances. I believe that Jesus is also implying here that he is the greater Bethel. Jesus himself is truly the house of God. The reason Jesus is the greater Bethel is because now the house of God is not limited to one geographical place like where Jacob was, but now the house of God is found in a person. It's found in Jesus. We now come to him, and we can come to Jesus from wherever we are. Jesus makes another old connection for us in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we read about how Jesus cleansed the temple of the money changers. 
And then the Jews ask him, what sign do you show us that you can do these things? Well, Jesus gives an answer in verses 19 through 22. Let's look at Jesus' answer here. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken to him. So when Jesus is talking about this temple, he's not talking about the brick-and-mortar building that he is standing in in that moment. No, he's talking about his own body, as well as the cross and the resurrection. Now, why would Jesus refer to himself as the temple? Remember, the temple is to be the place where God's presence and glory dwells. Jesus is actually making a really bold claim here. Because in essence, what Jesus is saying, that in him, God's glory and presence dwells. Jesus is making a really clear deity claim here. And Jesus is showing us just how close God is getting to us. Jesus is the temple. God is here. Anyone can come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you're coming to God himself. And there's no hindrances in coming to Jesus. There's another way I want us to see God coming closer to us in Jesus. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew 17, we have the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. What I want us to do is look in verses 1 to 8 to see how God is even coming closer to us in Jesus. So Matthew 17 verses 1 through 8 says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified because, Je- uh, because they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So here in Matthew, just like Exodus, we have a mountain. And this time, Jesus goes up to the mountain, and he takes Peter and James and John, and he invites them to go with him. And just like in Exodus, we have glory. This time, Jesus reveals his glory to these three that are on the mountain with them. And it is a glorious sight to behold. It's an amazing thing to look at, that Jesus, his face is shining like the sun, and that his clothes are white as light. I mean, just think about this. They have been invited to the mountain. There's no hiding behind the rock in order to see this glory. They see this glory, and they actually say that it's good for them to be there. This is totally different than what it looked like in Exodus. And I believe the difference is, is because Jesus is now here. But I want you to know something else that happens on the mountain. God shows up on the mountain too. 
And there's a cloud once again on the mountain. And the voice of God speaks again on the mountain. And the three guys, Peter, James, and John, they fall on the ground out of great fear because there is still separation. Then look at what Jesus does. He comes nearer. He touches them. He tells them to get up. And he tells them not to fear. And that's exactly what they do. Here we see Jesus is removing the hindrances. Our sin and our shame, Jesus still comes close. That he touches us and he lifts us up and he tells us that we don't have to fear anymore. Because the reality is, we're referencing back to John 1, Jesus is that ladder. And that ladder is the cross. Because it is on the cross where Jesus removes all of the hindrances that were keeping us far from God. Jesus removed the distance by removing all the sin, all the guilt, and all the shame. All the brokenness from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus is fixing, he's repairing, and he's actually making it brand new. And because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we can now come close to God without any hindrances. So I hope you can see this morning the truly the good news that in Jesus, God has come close to you. So the question becomes, how do we respond to this good news? What is our response? I believe our response is coming near to the Lord. The best advice that I can give you this morning, the best thing I can say to you is come to Jesus. Draw near to him. Because there's nothing more soul-satisfying than coming near to Jesus. And the good news is, is we're actually encouraged to come. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. This is what Ryan read for us earlier. And what I want to do is when I read Isaiah 55, I just really want to focus in on verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 55. And what I want you to notice as I am reading this, that it is God who is speaking these verses to you. All right, so keep that in mind as we read these verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love of David. So, what I want you to see here is not one, not two, five times in these three verses, you are invited to come to the Lord. Five times it's stated, which says something in and of itself. You are not given a half-hearted invitation to come to the Lord. Instead, you are enthusiastically invited to come to him. There is no doubt about it. God wants you to come near to him. And he is repeatedly and enthusiastically inviting you to come. 
And I think this truth is so important for us to know in our heads and believe in our hearts. Because I struggle with this. I struggle with the fact that, that I believe that God really wants me to come near to him. Because here's what I think a lot of times. I think a lot of times that God looks at me in a disapproving way because of just the way I just mess things up. And I think, why in the world does God want to come near to me? And yet, the truth of Scripture overrides what I think and what I feel and says, no, God wants you to come to him. I mean, think about the context of the book of Isaiah. The first 20-odd chapters are all about judgment because the people of Israel are deep in sin. They're about ready to go into exile. And yet God is still saying, I want you to come to me in all of your mess. Come. Come to me is the invitation. So not only does God enthusiastically invite us to come, but look at what he offers to us. Water and food for the thirsty and hungry soul. God knows that our souls long for satisfaction. We are made for satisfaction. And God knows that there is nothing that nourishes and satisfies our soul like himself. God is saying, come to me, feast on the things of me, delight in the things that I offer you, and you will find satisfaction for your soul. And yet it gets even better. The Lord says that you can come for free. The satisfaction that he is offering for your soul won't cost you a dime. All you need to do is come to him and listen to him. Notice that three times in these verses we are told to listen to him. Once in verse 2, twice in verse 3. We are told to listen, to listen diligently now, that word diligently means that we are to listen in a way that leads to action. It's an active listening, and it's a listening that leads to obedience. And that we are to incline our ear. That means we turn our listening ear away from everything else, and we turn it in a different direction so that you get all of our attention. So that we are to incline our ear to the Lord so that He gets all the connection. Or He gets all the attention, excuse me. But I want you to see the connection here. That our coming to the Lord and eating and feasting in Him to be satisfied in Him is connected to listening to Him and obeying Him. That when you come to Him and you feed and you delight in Him, that what will happen is as you delight in that, you delight in the things of Him. You delight in hearing Him. The things that He has to say to you are meant to satisfy your soul. And then what that happens is, is this going to lead to a natural, joyful obedience of him. So there's a cycle that takes place. There's coming, there's eating, there's delighting, there's being satisfied. That says, I want to listen more, and I want to obey more so that I can delight more. And I can experience more of that joy and satisfaction. But there's also a warning in verse 2. Because there's a false bread that is in the world that is calling you to come near to it. And we chase all sorts of false breads that we think are going to fill us up and that are going to satisfy us that we can delight in. But all they do is they leave us unsatisfied and they actually leave us hungrier. 
because it doesn't do what it says it's going to do. It's full of false hopes and false promises. We need more substance than the false bread that the world offers. It won't satisfy. So stay away from the false bread. So come to the Lord daily to be filled by him. Come and spend time with him. Talk to him. Prayer. Prayer is this great way that we can come to him and be satisfied. Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your heart before him. That if God is coming near, he is ready to listen to you. He wants to listen to you. And when you realize that the Lord is near and that he wants to listen to you, man, that can transform your prayer life. Because this is about motivation. We know we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to read the word. We know those are things that we are, are meant to do. And yet this is the motivation to help you to come in a positive way to say, you know what, God's waiting. He wants you to come. I mean, it can change the way that you look at the Bible and you look at reading the word as well. That every time you open this book and you spend time with him, you're just wanting to be near him. You just want to be near. And the good news is every time you read the Bible, he is coming near to you because he's speaking his words to you as you listen to him and as you read. This is another great reason and great motivator to come to the word because you just want to come to be close to him. You just want to come be near. It's like taking a walk with him and communing with him. As you talk to him, he speaks to you in the word, and you're coming nearer to each other. And once you train your eyes to look for nearness, what you discover is it's all over scripture, and it's super encouraging. There's a whole lot more verses in Exodus that talk about nearness that I didn't even touch today. You can read the book of Deuteronomy, and guess what's in Deuteronomy? There's a lot of talk of God's nearness with his people. It's everywhere. It's in Isaiah. It's in the Psalms. It's in Jeremiah. You can find it all over Scripture. If you train your eyes and say, you know, I'm just going to look for this theme. Look for words like near and close and, and drawing near and dwelling. It's everywhere. And, and this is something that is meant to encourage us in our relationship with him. In the New Testament, look at Jesus. Jesus is always coming near to people. He's coming near to lepers. That he's told not to touch. That are outsiders. He comes near to Zacchaeus. He comes near to the woman at the well. He comes near to outsiders and sinners. People rejected by society and Jesus comes near. What a great encouragement to read your Bible. Say, I'm going to come and read my Bible today because I want to look and see how you're coming near to me. Because I want to come and be near to you. Finally, this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. This is our last passage and our last point this morning. Because what I want us to do is I want us to be a people who are looking to that great and glorious day when the Lord will finish and complete the work of coming near to us when he returns and Eden is fully and finally restored. Look in Revelation 21. Verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice 
from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man. And he will dwell, he will tabernacle with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their Here's the good news, is that we see God is initiating and coming to us again first. That the city of God is coming down to earth. And the city of God is coming down to earth is because God is coming to reside with us. He is going to be with us once again. We hear this great proclamation, right? The dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man and that he will dwell with them. They will be his people. The separation of sin is gone. There's no more veil. There's no more hiding behind the cleft of the rock. All the hindrance have been evaporated. God's work of restoring Eden will be complete. God's nearness with us will be our new, permanent, forever reality. We will be with God in total harmony and perfect fellowship and overflowing with joy as we will see all of his glory on full display and bask in the beauty of who he is. So can I encourage you this morning? Let's be a people who practice coming near to God now and often. Because we have a great anticipation of that final day when the Lord comes again. And that nearness with him will be complete. There's a battle that we still fight today to come near to him. It's a good battle to fight. And it's a battle worth fighting for. So come and be near. And let's say like the psalmist in Psalm 73. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And oh, how good that nearness is. And how good it will be for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father God, I'm thankful that the story did not end in Genesis chapter 3. But that you have slowly, progressively worked and are working and continue to work to undo all of the curse of the fall. That you still want to draw close to us. In our mess that we have, you still want to draw close. That you offer forgiveness sin and guilt and shame and that you draw us to you thank you for that great work on the cross so that we can come near to god again and i thankful that there's a day coming where we will be with you again and see that glory in completion and so god i pray for us i pray that you would help us i pray that in this next week that we will want to come to you and eat of the things of you and draw near to you. There's so many things that fight against our coming near to you. And I pray that you would help us see the beauty and the goodness of coming near to you. And that we would be greatly encouraged in our relationship with you. And that we would grow in our nearness with you, grow in our relationship, grow in our love for you, grow in our obedience of you. Pray that you would help us recognize and remember that you invite us to come because you want to come to us and that you would draw us close to you. Pray this all in your name. Amen.